excited to share a message with you this morning. I believe that God wants to speak to you. And to start, I'd love to share a poem with you. And this particular poem is called, I Wanted to Change the World. It says this, when I was a young man, I wanted to change the world. I found it was difficult to change the world, so I tried to change my nation. When I found I couldn't change the nation, I began to focus on my town. I couldn't change the town, and as an older man, I tried to change my family. Now, as an old man, I realise the only thing I can change is myself. And suddenly I realised that if long ago I had have changed myself, I could have made an impact on my family. My family and I could have made an impact on our town. Their impact could have changed the nation and I could indeed have changed the world. You see, every single one of us is called to bring change to this world. Not just some of us, not just a special few, but every single one of us is called to make a difference and have a positive transforming impact on the world around us. But as this poem has said, before we can try and change the world or even our nation, before we can change the community around us and even our family, we must first change ourselves. There must be something that changes on the inside of us, something that shifts and takes place. You see, there have been many men and women all throughout history and even today that have achieved great things for the kingdom. Martin Luther King led the African-American civil rights movement, saw so much change during the segregation period. He even won the Nobel Peace Prize for combating racial inequality without violence. Christine Kane, you may have heard of her today, an evangelist and activist, founded the A21 campaign. Her organisation stands against human trafficking. They've seen countless men and women taken out of the sex trade. Sekunda Bazenjo, a man who grew up in Pakistan, wanted to help the people of his hometown who were living in poverty. They didn't have access to healthcare and have been suffering greatly during the spread of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so he reached out to local government officials and ended up founding an organisation called Youth Against Corona. And he raised so much money and provided meals, monthly meals for over 10,000 families. George Mueller, who established the Ashley Down Orphanage, saw 17,000 children come through his doors and set up 117 schools which offered Christian education. Billy Graham preached the gospel to 215 million people in live audiences across 185 different countries. His staff say that more than 3.2 million people gave their life to Jesus at his crusades. And as I stop to think about these movements, these mighty moves of God, I can't help but ask the question, where did it all begin? Where did it all begin? What is it that takes place prior to these movements? What is it that is so powerful that would lead to these moves of God? Is it education? Is it vision? Is it passion? Is it determination? And yes, all of these are important, but I personally believe it is a broken heart. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. If not, the scripture will come up on the screen. But why don't you come with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah is who I like to call an exile baby. Years earlier, Babylon had invaded Judah and they took many of the Jewish people captive. They brought them from Jerusalem and took them into Babylon. 
And then a number of years later, Persia ended up defeating and overtaking Babylon. And so the Persian government said to all of those that were in captivity and had been exiled, hey, you can go back to your hometown in Jerusalem. So many of them went, but some actually decided to stay in Persia. It had been years. They had settled down there. They had had families. And so Nehemiah was one of these exiles that stayed in Persia. In fact, he worked for the Persian king. He was the king's cupbearer, which meant that it was his responsibility to test the food and the drink of the king to ensure that it didn't have any poison in it. And so starting at verse 1, this is Nehemiah speaking. He says this, In the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa Hanani, one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province, so those who had gone back to Jerusalem, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. In other words, Jerusalem was completely defenceless. Now, a wall might not mean much to the city of Canberra or to many cities these days, but back in those days, the the wall represented security. It was their source of strength. So the people were in a very vulnerable state. When I heard these things, Nehemiah says, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. In the next chapter, we see the king notices how upset Nehemiah was, that his demeanor had changed. And the king says, this can be nothing but sadness of heart. And so Nehemiah explained to the king what was happening in Jerusalem. And he actually asked if he could take annual leave to go back to Judah and rebuild the wall. The king allowed him to do this and Nehemiah led one of the most successful rebuilding campaigns in all of Israel. It was a mighty move of God. But if we go back to the very beginning of this story, when Nehemiah's brother came and told him about the state of Jerusalem, in verse 4, it says that Nehemiah sat down and wept. He sat down and wept. You see, in that moment for Nehemiah, what preceded the building of Jerusalem's wall, what preceded this move of God was a broken heart. Nehemiah's heart broke for the people. He saw the state they were in, the fear, the shame, the panic that they were facing and his heart began to break. When Martin Luther King saw how the African-Americans were being treated, something inside of him changed. When Christine Kane saw the exploitation of women, when Secunda saw the suffering of the people in his hometown, when George Mueller saw how many children were without a home, and when Billy Graham looked and saw the spiritual condition of this world, something inside of them changed. Their heart began to break. And this morning, I want to ask you, what is it that breaks your heart? What is it that you just can't seem to ignore? Or what makes you so uncomfortable or so frustrated to the point where you say enough is enough? Is it injustice of some sort? Is it mental health, poverty, victims of abuse, corrupt politicians, unethical business practice, the education system, gossip, exclusion, discrimination, homelessness? What is it that breaks your heart? 
You know, when I was younger, I would get so upset every time I saw a little animal that was distressed or trapped, and I would do everything I could to try and help it. Often I would come home with boxes of caterpillars and worms and sometimes baby birds that I'd found on the side of the road. And to be honest, I think I did more damage than good. But my heart would break when I saw an animal struggling and I would do everything I could to try and help it and to set it free. But years later, when I recommitted my life to Jesus, instead of my heart breaking for animals to be set free, it started to break for people to be set free, to be set free from strongholds, to be set free from oppression. I can't tell you the heartache I feel when I see people living in captivity, not knowing the presence of God, not understanding the power and the grace of Jesus Christ. What is it that breaks your heart? And maybe today, if you're honest with yourself, your heart isn't breaking. Maybe there isn't a particular situation that has gripped or moved you. You know, something that I've noticed about our society is that, especially now, actually, when things are going on and things are taking place in the world, we often put it into this category of, oh, that's just too big to fix. Oh, that's just impossible to overcome. Even as Christians, we often think, well, that's just how the world operates. That's just the way things are. That's just the way Canberra has always been. That's just the way government has always been. I mean, think about it. Christians, believers, we believe that Jesus supernaturally resurrected from the grave. He defeated sin, Satan and death. And we are prepared to look Jesus in the eye and say, hey, that situation over there, that's too big for you to handle, Jesus. God, have you seen that situation in that country? Oh, that's just impossible for you to be able to overcome. Honestly, have we gotten to a point where the issues of our society and the world around us seem so beyond the bounds of possibility that we have just accepted them for the way they are? Have we allowed ourselves to become so desensitized that we're reading the news, we're seeing the images, we're hearing the stories, but it isn't actually affecting us? Or more recently, have we just become so overwhelmed? And I know it's easy to be overwhelmed, but have we become so overwhelmed that we have just shut off altogether? We don't want to know what's happening in our community. We, we don't want to know what's happening in the lives around us because we are so overwhelmed. Church, can I tell you, the last thing our world needs is for us to shut off and be overwhelmed. The world needs us. Our community needs us. We need to know what is happening in the lives of those around us. The church is a city on a hill. We're the salt of the earth. We are the light. The world, as the world gets darker, we get brighter. The church gets brighter. And if there was ever a day that our community needed us, it is now. But if we don't know the need, if we don't know what's happening in people's lives, then how will our heart ever break? Nehemiah went out of his way to ask his brother how Jerusalem is going. He allowed himself to be exposed to what was happening around him. Let's make a decision today to expose ourselves to what is happening in our community, to what is happening in the lives of those around us. That might look like checking in on someone, giving them a call, going for a walk, having those deeper conversations. Or maybe it looks like researching some charities, watching documentaries, even getting involved in Canberra City Care or reaching out to Leighton and Grace, having a conversation with them, finding out what's going on in Indonesia, chatting to our mission partners and finding out what's happening all around the world. We as the church need to know what is happening around us. 
But of course, as much as we need to learn and discover and expose ourselves to what's happening, we also need to pray. We need to pray that prayer that is one of the most dangerous prayers we can ever pray. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. God, whatever is breaking your heart right now, Jesus, would it break mine too? Robert Pierce, the founder of World Vision, wrote this prayer on the front page of his Bible. Let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. What is it that breaks your heart? What is it that moves you to the point of tears? You see, one of the most important things that you can do is identify the answer to that question. Why? Because it is often linked to your calling. There is often a link between what breaks your heart and what God is calling you to do. You see, when we think about this concept of calling, we often think, well, what are we passionate about? What are we interested in? And yes, they are major factors, but on a deeper level, it's what breaks your heart. Now, I'm not talking about everything that breaks your heart. I'm not talking about everything that moves you. I mean, ask my husband. I am so easily moved. I cry at the drop of a hat. So I'm not talking about everything that affects you. I'm talking about that one situation, that one circumstance that affects you so deeply, that one problem that breaks your heart, that one issue that frustrates you so much that you end up saying, you know what, enough is enough. I can't stand this anymore. Something has to change. When Nehemiah found out about Jerusalem's wall and how it had been broken down and the gates had been burned with fire. Yes, he sat down and he wept, but he got to a point where he said, enough is enough. I can't stand this anymore. Something has to change. And so he packed up his bags. He went to Judah and he started organizing and managing and rebuilding that wall. I want you to hear this today. A broken heart will always lead to action. When your heart is that affected and that move, you moved, you can't help but be driven to action. Let's take Moses, for instance. Moses led the entire nation of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery and into their deliverance. Now, many people would say this all began at the encounter with the burning bush where God said, hey, Moses, I want you to deliver my people. But that's not where it all began. It began years earlier when Moses was living in Egypt as a young man and he would look outside his window and see how his very own people were being treated. He was looking and seeing the daily oppression that they were facing and it distressed him and it broke his heart and it got to a point where he said, enough is enough. He ended up getting into a fight with someone and he said, I can't stand this anymore. And then years and years later, God shows up on the scene and he says, Moses, I've seen your anger. I've seen your frustration. I know what the Israelites are going through. I see the suffering and it breaks my heart too. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take what you're feeling. I'm going to take your frustration. I'm going to take your heartache and I'm going to use it and I'm going to channel it to be able to free my people. And Moses did just that. A broken heart will always lead to action. If it doesn't grip your heart, you'll never pay the price. Until our hearts are gripped and broken for the situations and people around us, we'll always maintain the status quo. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to maintain the status quo. I don't want to be just satisfied with a few of my friends knowing Jesus or just a few of my family members going to church. No, I tell you what, I'll be satisfied the day every single one of my family members, every single one of my friends and every child, teenager and adult comes to know the transformational power and love and grace 
of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. Sometimes we get so caught up in our own situation, especially with what we're going through today, that we focus so much on ourselves that we forget that about other people. We forget that there are other people out there in our community, in our world, that need and in desperate need of the gospel that we have. Recently, I was listening to a lady uh, called Catherine Wolf share her story. And she basically grew up in America, was married in her early 20s. And after having her first baby, six months after having that baby, she had a stroke. And this left her from the waist down, completely paralyzed. She was in a wheelchair, half of her face droops to one side. And she basically goes on to say that she feels like she gets a free pass in life because everyone looks at her family, they see her husband wheeling her around in a wheelchair and they automatically give her VIP treatment. But I remember Catherine saying that she is simply showcasing on the outside what so many people are going through on the inside. You see, the struggles and storms of life aren't always physical. They aren't always visible to the eye. For many people, the struggle, the storms are internal. And we know as Christians the answer to what's going on in here. We know the answer to the peace that so many are looking for. We know the answer to the joy that so many people are longing for. We know the answer to the love that so many people are searching for. And his name is Jesus. And he came to this earth and he went to a cross and he resurrected three days later so that we could have a life of hope and destiny and freedom and purpose, a life full of God's presence and power, a life eternal. There are so many people that need us. They need the gospel that we have. And can I tell you, the opportunities are endless. You know, I remember a number of years ago driving home from work and I started to pray that God would break my heart for the one. So not the masses, not everyone in the world, just God break my heart for that one person. And soon as I prayed that prayer, a young girl walked across the road and I noticed that it was my friend's little sister. And so I pulled the car over, I got out, I started speaking to her. And instantly I could tell that although from the outside everything seemed fine, there was something going on internally. I asked a number of questions and she ended up opening up to me about a devastating situation she was going through. She's not a Christian and so I told her about the power of prayer and she kept asking me to pray for her. So later on I prayed for her and to this day we are still talking and she has so many questions about Jesus. You see, every day God presents us with opportunities. They are there waiting for us. Ephesians 5.16 says, Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. The Amplified puts it this way, making the most of your time on earth, recognizing and taking advantage of each opportunity and using it with wisdom and diligence. I recently read an article from an organization called About Mission that said that over 30 million people die without Christ a year. 30 million people die without Christ a year. I don't know about you, but that breaks my heart. That absolutely breaks my heart. But you know what? That statistic doesn't have to stay like that. If we would be a people that would make the most of every opportunity we have, that statistic can change. Nehemiah looked at the state of Jerusalem and his heart broke. Daniel saw the idolatry of the people in Babylon and his heart began to break. David heard the Philistines mocking God and not one of the Israelites would do anything about it. And it frustrated him so much 
Jeremiah the prophet looked at the sin of Judah and wept. Paul saw the segregation between the Gentiles and the Jews and his heart broke. But our Bible tells us that each one of these men took advantage of the opportunity that they had. And Nehemiah outworked one of the most significant building operations in history. Daniel stood so firm on his resolve and influenced the entire region of Babylon. David killed Goliath and became king. Jeremiah preached the word of God to thousands of people. And Paul started the largest movement of unity people had ever seen. As a church, let's take advantage of every opportunity we have. Life is too short to say, I'll do it tomorrow. Even this week, why not pray for someone? Drop off a care package, check in on the neighbours, see how they're going. Write someone a letter, encourage them with scripture. Or maybe it's time to take that opportunity to tell that family member exactly what Jesus has done in your life. Or why not invite a friend to Alpha? We have Alpha starting up in just a few weeks' time. It is a safe and honest place where people can explore their faith. It will be online sessions. I can't tell you how many people I know that have personally discovered the love of Jesus and found the truth of the gospel through Alpha because it is a space where you can ask the deeper questions in life. In fact, I would love us to watch this video. In my spirit, I feel that it is so timely with where we're at as a church. So why don't we take a look? Every day we ask so many questions. What should I wear? What's the weather going to be like? How am I going to fit everything in? But then there are those bigger questions, like why am I here? Where am I heading? Is there more to life than this? I had arrived at an answer to the most important issue that we humans ever deal with. Is there a God? And I had arrived there without ever really looking at the evidence. And I was supposed to be a scientist. At 28, uh, I had gotten many of the things that I thought I wanted. Uh, my girlfriend was on the cover of magazines, I had a Beamer, and I was so unhappy. It was a realization maybe that I would, I would never find happiness where I was looking for it. I think for so many years, you know, I always just strived to be strong in myself. All I needed was me and my buddies and, you know, would be like invincible. But the truth is, none of us are. That I found purpose, I found meaning, I found hope. God took something so broken and made it a beautiful art piece. Alpha is a place where you can be yourself. You can say what you think and challenge everything. No question is too complex or too simple. And what your point of view is, is as important as anyone else's. We are going on a journey together, an adventure to explore the questions of life, faith, and meaning. 
I don't know about you, but living a life of faith has been the greatest adventure I have ever been on. And Alpha is simply an opportunity to invite others on that adventure. And maybe today you're joining us and you wouldn't say that you have a faith. Maybe you you don't know Jesus. Can I tell you today that Jesus knows you and he loves you and it's not an accident that you are watching this morning or you are watching from wherever you are. You know, the greatest thing that breaks the heart of God is not having relationship with his people. That's why he sent his one and only son to this earth to go to a cross, to take on the penalty of the world's sin. And three days later to resurrect from the grave, breaking the power of sin, enabling every single one of us that through faith in Jesus, we can have a life that is full of hope, that has eternal security, that is full of freedom and peace and joy and love. Jesus Christ has forever changed my life. And I know he wants to change yours as well. 